0: Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we bow in your presence and we ask that the Holy Spirit of God would open the word of God to all the people of God. Speak, Lord, for your servants seek to hear in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Are we following the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit? That's the question this morning. Are we following the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit? And our sermon this morning begins with a story of two Texans. I don't know if you know any Texans. I worked with a man who was born in El Paso for 19 years in my previous parish. Everything is bigger in Texas, trust me. They're one big ego from one side to the other. It's incredible. These two Texans were traveling together on vacation, and they decided to stop at one of the natural wonders of the world, Niagara Falls. As they took the beautiful drive from Lake Erie to the falls, they were filled with admiration and awe at the size and power of the Niagara River. They were particularly impressed with the rapids just above the falls and stopped there to look. From there, they could see the massive mist cloud, that always hangs over the precipice. One of the men who'd already been there and who was hosting the other said, come and I'll show you the greatest unused power in the world. That's straight Texas. Taking him to the foot of Niagara Falls, he said, there, there is the greatest unused power in the world. Ah, my friend, said his friend, not so, not so. The greatest unused power in the world is the Holy Spirit of the living God who lives in each one of us. Hmm. Hmm. Paul puts it this way in Galatians. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So the question is this. The Spirit is trying to lead you in your life. And if we use Jesus as our model, which we always should, His entire life is a life... Led and guided by the Holy Spirit. Think of that first scene in a synagogue at Nazareth. You remember it. When he came to the town where he grew up, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me to preach good news. Jesus' entire life and ministry is one that is anointed by and led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. To lead a life that God wants is to be led by the Spirit. But what does that look like? What does that mean? All right. I appreciate you asking the question. Let's look at the text. We're going to continue in our series, Outward Bound, and we're actually just going to look at four verses. So if I'm hoping to get it up on the screen. We're going to look at verses 6 to 10 of Acts chapter 16, fairly near the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey after the council of Jerusalem. And they're taking the gospel and they're going out. And what I want to submit to you is this is an outstanding passage for thinking through what the Spirit's ministry actually looks like in practical terms. So look at your text and let's outline four different examples of what the Holy Spirit's about. Number one, the leading of the Spirit involves, listen, slow, painstaking movement, which can go on for a while and apparently get you nowhere. It's what I like to call the extraordinary blessing of apparently ordinary days. Most of life is actually like this. And if you look at the text and you think about their journey, at a basic level, it makes no sense So you look at those cities, and you stay with me, and we'll just take this as a hypothetical, but if if you think of them starting somewhere around Boston, for example, essentially what they do is they go up through Maine just to the southern part of Canada, and then, then they head entirely across... Canada. And as they're going across Canada, they're desperately thinking, well, now there's Chicago. That's a pretty big strategic center. There's Milwaukee. There's Duluth. Let's go down there. And the text makes very clear. The Holy Spirit says, not on your life. So then they get all the way to British Columbia and they're just south, right? If you're staying with me in Vancouver and they say, well, this is, here's another, this is super close. Let's go to Vancouver. It's a really big strategic center, right? Third biggest city in Canada. Bada. And the, the spirit of Jesus, it says, says no. So, so far what they've done is they've gone from... Massachusetts to southern Canada and they've gone across southern Canada and they come to the southern part of British Columbia and they've been talking to people along the way. the But if you notice in the text, there's no description of ministry whatsoever. It's just a whole series of apparently ordinary days. These are missionaries. They've been sent out to preach the gospel. What's going on here? They're not sure. They're not clear. The only thing, brothers and sisters, that they've been told so far is no... In two examples, in no uncertain terms. Then they basically drop down using sort of the external route along, uh, California to San Diego, still having done essentially nothing for the gospel. And when they land on San Diego, Paul can't sleep and he has a vision and a man in the dream says, basically come over to Hawaii and help us. And so they get on a boat and they go to Hawaii. Now just think about that at a logical level. That makes, that's not very strategic. That's not very smart. That's not based on population center. That's not based on census information. It's incredibly bad business-wise. It's incredibly bad strategically. What in the world are they doing? They're doing the next thing. One of my favorite statements of Elizabeth Elliot, and I don't want you ever to forget it is, when you don't know what to do, do the next thing. God will meet you there. There's a whole life in that one sentence of wisdom. Incredible wisdom. When I was in seminary, I went to Trinity Episcopal School for Ministry. And the guy who founded it was an incredible Christian whose name was Alf Stanway. He's a long story for another time. He's actually an Australian. He was an African missionary for most of his life. And he came to outside of Pittsburgh and founded a seminary late in his life. And this guy was like a walking book of Proverbs. I don't know if you've ever known somebody like this, but there, when you get to, to Trinity, there's all these little alphisms, you know, he's all these little statements and they stay with you because they're so profound. And his statement on this, which I've never forgotten, is, is incredibly profound. He once said this, think about this for a second. He said, 90% of God's will is prior obligation. Now just, just let that sort of sit there. 90% of God's will is prior obligation incredibly profound right i'm married so presumably that has something to do with i have children i have a job i have a house i have three dogs etc etc so a lot of what i do is based on commitments actually that i've already made yeses that i've already said and when i say to you elizabeth Elliott says do the next thing god will meet you there 90% of that It's prior obligation. So you want to know how they got to where they went? They did the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, and they got almost all no's so far. But no's can precede yeses in the wisdom of God, and they're just as important of yeses because if you think about it from the perspective of wisdom, even when you say yes, you're in fact saying no to other things when you say yes. So every yes has lots of no's in it, and every no has the potential for another yes, and that was true in their case. So if you're all with me so far... I just want you to see that even though it was not spectacular, there was nothing dramatic, it was apparently ordinary, they just kept going and they paid attention to the no and just just went in the direction which was all the light they had, which was the prior obligation to continue the journey. you all with me so far? All right, so that's the main way that the Spirit leads us. Second, it involves circumstances. What are we going to do with these no's? There are two no's. The Greek is very strong. The word that's used in verse 6 means to cut off, to cut short, to hinder, to prevent, to restrain by word and act, to cause something not to happen. It's basically a massive headwind if you're in a sailboat. And it doesn't matter which direction you turn, headwind, headwind, headwind. And what is fascinating about the text is we're simply not told what exactly the no consisted of. Was it weather? Was it a strong inner compulsion over time? Was it Jewish opposition? Was it a legal ban? Was it the utterance of a Christian prophet? We're not told. Wesley, in his commentary, says he believes it's a strong inward dictate. And one of the things I like about Ignatius of Loyola is in one point he says, when God guides you by feelings, He gives you a feeling that won't go away. And that's what Wesley's talking about. Maybe that was it. I myself think it's circumstances. And this is something also that I wanted to mention to you is, when you're led by the Spirit in your life, think of those three stars in Orion, the constellation, right? So things somehow end up lining up sometimes circumstantially. And I think whether it was sickness and weather or a combination of sickness and weather, whatever it is, it was clear. They couldn't go south into the United States in my analogy example, and they couldn't go north to Vancouver, so they went the only way that they knew. But how did they know this? Because a series of circumstances that fit a pattern made it clear that they were being withstood. It's as if Balaam's donkey is in the middle of the road. (laughs) Right? It's that that kind of, it's that level of, it doesn't matter what, you you just can't do what you feel like you're supposed to do. Okay, I'll do the next thing. I'll do something else. They're very strong no's. So patterns and circumstances and feelings sustained over time. Third, it involves direct interventions like visions. It's a great story for all the things that God does. So here we are in verse 9, and it says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There he is down there in San Diego, and the vision says, Come over to Hawaii. There's a man standing there urging them to come over. And again, it doesn't make a lot of sense because there's a whole series of very major cities in Asia Minor that are not far away, just to their east as they're doing this, but that are a major seaport, and Europe is over to the west, and the figure is clearly causing them to go over to the west. And we don't have time to get into it this morning in great detail. But one of the things I want you to think about is, this is a story about the gospel getting to Europe for the first time. Did you know that? That woman, Lydia, that you heard about is the first Christian in the entire history of Europe. You and I wouldn't be here without her. A seller of purple out by the river in Philippi. She was an Episcopalian almost definitely. I'm serious. I'm- I'm serious, you know that upper middle class, right? Purple was the most valuable color. She was probably on the vestry, right? (laughs) But she's out there, and she's a God-fear, and she gives heed to what was said by Paul. So all these no's in Asia actually lead, in the wisdom of God, to the first yes in Europe. But it comes not just through apparently ordinary days, and not simply because of a lining up of circumstances which involves discerning the patterns, but it involves a direct intervention in an unusual situation. And one of the things I want to say to you is a spirit-led life is a life that pays attention to the apparently unusual things and asks why. We have a saying in my household, all it takes is one phone call. If you get a phone call from somebody, if you get an email from somebody that you haven't heard from for 20 years, don't just treat it as an ordinary email. It's not. It has some significance, undoubtedly, because it's way out of the pattern. Paul felt like his vision was this way. So those are three things. And the fourth thing I don't want you to miss is, and it's kind of hidden in the English, it doesn't really come out, but it's that word concluding in verse 10. The fourth thing is, It involves communal deliberation and discernment. And I love this word in the Greek, "sumbabadzo." It comes from a verb that means to get on a ship. And the other part of it means with. So it literally means to get on a ship together with. And if you've ever had to board a ship with a whole group of people. It's an enterprise. You better do it decently and in an order and have all your tickets and have all your luggage in a row. And what's being said here is this. When they get to Troas, after Paul's had this vision, after they've had all these frustrating days, after they've had these circumstantial no's, they sit there and they say, okay, that's it. We've had it. What in the world is God saying to us? And it actually takes some time. There's some struggle. There's some back and forth. And it says they were forced together in the Greek. They, ca- they strived Together, as a community and said, okay, now I see. Now God's actually calling us there, not there. You and I need one another if we're going to follow the Spirit. There's no place in the Christian life for an individual Christian. You do know that. My favorite story about that comes from a father and a son. And the son's had it. He's in high school and he's had it with the church and they're sitting there by the fire one day, and the son says, sort of like the, the uh, 1970s poster in Britain that I told you about, you know, Jesus, yes, the church, no. And he's, Dad, I, you know, the church is just, it's so flawed and it's so inadequate and it's so full of hypocrites. And, and his father just quietly takes the tongs and takes one big coal out of the fireplace and puts it right on the edge of the hearth. And they just sit there and talk. And as they do, of course, all the heat goes out. And the father just looks at it and he takes his son. He says, "Now you see that? You see what happened? All the heat went out of that. That's what happens to individual Christians. You need those other. I need you. You need me. You may not believe it, but I'm your brother in Christ. You're stuck with me. Not just for here, but for eternity and vice versa. We are the family of God and we need one another that much. Do you have any siblings? Sibling relationships are challenging, but they're also important. And deliberations with siblings are very important for families. Are you with me? So four different things about the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now I go from preaching to meddling and then we're done. So, hmm, what are we going to do with this? Well, the first thing I want to say to you is this, brothers and sisters. I want to go after what I want to call your general orientation. And what I want to say to you is this. This sermon is... 180 degrees uphill in the culture in which we find ourselves. What I am telling you is this. You are not leading your life. You're following in your life. Did you get that? When Jesus shows up in history, here's what he says. Come, follow me. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower. You are in a country that is based on the declaration of independence. Guess what Americans like? Independence from everything. And we've really, through the culture of narcissism, reached new levels of crazy independence in the 21st century where everybody gets to define every facet of reality for themselves. I think of the Microsoft ad, where do you want to go today? It's just so hypnotic. There you are at your computer and you have the whole world at your fingertips. You can go anywhere on the Internet. You can do anything. It's all about you. This entire story is the opposite. This is not about Paul. This is not about Paul's companions. This is not even about the geography. This is about the mission of God and the leading of the Spirit of God. It's about following, not leading. The key question in your life is this, not where do you want to go today? The key question is this, where does God want you to go today? And the difference between those two is night and day. And someone who gets up in the morning with a spirit of dependence is someone who's starting to live as a Christian. The first thing you think about when you get out of bed in the morning is absolutely crucial. You didn't make this day. You didn't make yourself. You didn't make this church. How much time do you have? God's actually been ahead of you all during the night doing all sorts of stuff. He who watches over Israel slumbers not nor sleeps, right? Says the psalmist. God's been doing all that and you've just showed up and you have the gall to say, fortunately I'm here. Where do I want to go today? What a joke. What a pitiful picture of humanity. That's not a human being. That's someone who is a caricature of a human being. Jesus doesn't start His day like that. Early in the morning, He went off by Himself to a quiet place to pray. Why? Because He was asking the Father and asking for the Spirit to lead him that particular day to do whatever he was called to do that particular day. In the morning he asked to be led, and the rest of the day he was led, which is why he was able to do so many different things at so many different levels with so much wisdom all the time. He was wisdom incarnate because he was led by the Spirit. He himself was following the Spirit. He calls us to follow the Spirit. Are you with me so far? That's indispensably true. Secondly, Are you willing to see in this story the wisdom of the apparent importance sometime of God's nose? There's a lovely story in Jack Andrew's expository commentary on Acts. It's just simple, but I like it because it makes the point that I want to make here. It's about a young woman preparing basically all of her early life for missionary service. And she'd done all the work, she'd done all the language preparation, and she was getting ready to go. This is a long time ago now. And she got a telegram that her sister, who lived in Midwest, died. So, I mean, she's basically spent her life preparing to be a missionary, and her sister's died, and and she can't go. She's got to go to the funeral. So when she goes to the funeral, there's four little children, and it becomes very clear when she's there there's no one to care for them. Andrew says this, Her heart was broken. She had dreamed of being a missionary, and now she would never have a chance to go out for the Lord. However, she submitted to the Lord's will and did the best she could for the children. There it is. Did you miss it? Do the next thing. Mm. After they grew up one by one, they said, Aunt, I feel that God wants me to be a missionary. So instead of one person going out to be a missionary, because of her faithfulness to God, four went out. She came to see, after all, that God's way is the best way. Simple story makes my precise point. Don't underestimate the importance of no's. And the last point, which is probably the most important point and the hardest point, is this. Um, Life is not so much a problem to be solved as a mystery to be lived. And one of the things we've got to get in touch with through this passage is if you'd asked Paul and his entire team in Antioch when they left, right? So this is the beginning of this thing. If they'd ended up in Troas, much less ended up in what you and I would now call Europe, they would have laughed you into the Asiatic Sea. I mean, that's not what they thought was going to happen, right? Did anybody here have the week that they, were going to th- that they thought they were going to have? <laughs> I'd love to talk to you after the service. I don't even have the days that I think I'm going to have. It's crazily difficult to live this life. Jeremy Taylor's feast day was yesterday. He wrote the prayer in the prayer book which says, Help us to be sensible of the, the, the shortness and uncertainty of life. That's a good prayer. So I found myself actually living into my own sermon this week because I didn't feel like I had a good conclusion. I kept working on the conclusion. I couldn't. Like, I had a, basically had a no all the series. Is, not that. Not that. So I get up this morning, and for the first time this week, I go on the Diocese of South Carolina Facebook page, and can you believe it? There was my conclusion. And, and the two stories. This is really good stuff, though. The two stories that are on the diocesan Facebook page. One is about Saint David Shirah, which is one of our sister parishes. And last Sunday was the first Sunday for that church, because of the lawsuit, they lost their building, that they were worshiping somewhere else. And it's got 20 pictures. Bishop Lawrence came up from Florence, and the Methodist church, God blessed them for their incredible hospitality, lent them their building. So at 4 o'clock in the afternoon last Sunday, St. David's Earl had their first worship service in their history, not in their own building, with Bishop Lawrence preaching. And if you look at the pictures... And you look at the people, they're very happy. <laughs> they're very joy-filled. It looked like a great occasion. And thank God for the hospitality of the Methodists. But I promise you, brothers and sisters, two or three years ago, if you'd asked the leadership of St. David's Shira, this is where they'd be. There's no way they would have believed you. And there are a whole lot of no's that they got. Don't miss that. They got a no to their own building. That hurts. And there they are, right smack in the middle of God's will. And then the other story is from a, a lay woman at Trinity Pinopolis by the last name of Grant. who has got two sons who are kind of late teens, young adults, and her husband of many, many years of marriage, three, just a little over three years ago, just basically all of a sudden died for no apparent reason, very unexpectedly. And she's written a book on grief And the, the entire book is about trying to make your way by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm sitting there on my computer this morning, feeling like I didn't have a good wind up for my sermon. And because of the wonders of technology, I could go on Amazon and get, you know, a little hint, hint reading. But I, but I just, I sat there and I read her first journal entry and I thought, this is, this is exactly what I want to say. So here's a woman who's lost her husband suddenly. Her whole life literally has been turned upside down. She's been an emergency room nurse for over 30 years. She knows what death looks like. And this is one entry in her journal, which is in the book. My son Aaron and I were talking last night and thinking that this really makes no sense. What did I say to you about this journey? It apparently makes no sense. John was so healthy and loved and just all around great. His light is so missed in a world that already possesses too much darkness. I mean, amen to that. I told Aaron, that's one of her sons, I had been thinking about this, and I think it's very dangerous to get stuck in the why. I think that the why is the emotional and spiritual quicksand Satan can use to pull us down into a dark place and ultimately to pull us under. We all know people stuck in the why. They can't get past the question, why me? I don't know that I will ever get that answer. I pray that God will reveal to me how he turns this into beauty. Yet I understand that he may not. This is great theology stuff, this thing. I think that this is the time to ask God to show us the how. How can I keep moving forward in faith in this place, in his plan? How can I have my peace in the midst of sorrow? How can I trust him? Those are the conversations we are currently having. That's that's it. That's not the why, but the how. And do you hear what she's doing? She's saying we got to take the next step. Now, she didn't know three plus years ago that she'd be sitting here as a grieving wife and a single mother with two children. She didn't think she was going to write a book on grief. Sounds like a really good book. You don't know what's happening to you next year. I got in trouble. I've told you this before in a former parish because I said, and I quote, some of the people this morning will probably be dead and not here in a year. And everybody wanted to kill me at the door. <laughs> Life is strange. It's unpredictable. There's no way that St. David Shara or this woman thought that they'd be where in fact that they are. But they got there by the Holy Spirit of God. And they got where God wanted them to get. Because he's the good shepherd and he leads his sheep where he wants them to go. And that is the faith of the Christian. Lord, where do you want me to go today? Even if it involves a lot of no's. Even if it involves things that I don't understand. Even if it involves things that are difficult. You're in charge. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And the thing is, brothers and sisters, that's not a downer. That's an upper. It's actually an invitation to think of the Christian life as a great adventure. I don't know if you know this wonderful section of Jeremiah, but I absolutely adore it. In chapter 12, where the, 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 the Lord is going back and forth with Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is saying, Lord, I'm tired. I don't like how things are going. I don't like what you're doing in my life. And the Lord essentially says to him, Look, if you can't, if you can't run right now, how are you going to run with horses in the future? Where's your imagination, Jeremiah? We're only just getting started this is a great adventure. So are you with me? Paul was led by the Spirit of God, and he's calling us into a life that is full of adventure and uncertainty, led by the same Spirit. Will you join me in trusting the shepherd to take you where he wants you to go, no matter where, no matter what, no matter what it involves? As we are seated, let us pray. Lord, in the Lord's prayer, you teach us to pray. Give us this day. This day. This day is the only day that we have. This day is the first day of the rest of our lives. We acknowledge, Lord, this morning, just in a moment's reflection, that we've been too much functioning as if we're in charge of the universe. We're in charge of our lives. Our ideas about what should happen are what matter. Forgive us, Lord, for our arrogance for our independence that takes us too often far from you. And give us this morning a new awakening to what it means to be a Christian utterly dependent on the leading and guiding of your spirit as you were. And please, Lord, take us as individuals and as a parish where you want us to go. In Jesus' precious name, amen.